Only very few ever knew his name. He was just another unnoticed, unimportant, unseen black man. But thousands of people have gathered on streets all over the world in recent days, shouting a thundering call and response. Say his name! And with this comes the loud answer, George Floyd! Say his name! George Floyd! Now, it's not that his personal greatness has, has driven the impassioned cries, but it's the way in which his life was callously taken from him. The human indignity of having a knee pressed upon his neck for those eternal eight-plus minutes until all of his breath was finally gone. George Floyd and others like him, whose names have become almost too numerous to recite, are stark reminders that racism in America is still very much alive. Those of us who are part of our country's white majority may often be blind to that truth, but that doesn't change the painful reality. We could talk a lot about the many reasons why racism is still so present in our culture, and that conver conversation we should have. But right now, I don't want to talk so much about the nature of the problem as to encourage us toward a solution. We're, we're in a short series of messages that we have called church.community. It's a sampling of, of some of the one another passages that are found in the New Testament. And we, we've talked about encouraging one another and bearing one another's burdens. And in this challenging cultural moment, I want to lift up one more. Just a few moments before the words were spoken, spoken Jesus had, had washed his disciples' feet, the menial work of a servant. Before the next day would end, he would lay down his life for the ultimate sacrifice of a savior. But sandwiched in between both striking images of basin and towel and cross and death, Jesus spoke these words recorded in John chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. I wonder when the world looks at the church, whether they see the love of Jesus, or do we just look pretty much like all the world that surrounds us? When Martin Luther King Jr. was helping lead our nation's civil rights movement, he, he wrote a memorable letter from a jail cell where he was once confined in, in Birmingham, Alabama. In the letter, King said that he'd gone to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of his cause and, and with deep moral concern serve as a channel through which those grievances could get to the power structure. But then he added, I had hoped, but again, I have been disappointed. He continued, the, the contemporary church is so often a, a weak, ineffective voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch support, supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. I ask again, what does the world see when it, when it looks at the church? The love of Jesus has too often been tamed or domesticated. We've, we somehow miss the radically subversive, uh, counter-cultural way in which Jesus lived out love. 
He identified with the oppressed rather than the privileged. He freed people from their imprisoned lives. He he invited despised tax collectors to become an intimate part of his closest circle of friends. He elevated the place of women and children in a culture that often devalued them. He was he was born into a peasant family, lived an economically impoverished life. He was constantly befriending and redeeming the broken. That's the way Jesus loved. And through the Holy Spirit, he inspired the church to be a community unlike any other social construct of its time. It was a family that welcomed both the rich and the poor, slaves and masters, Jews and Gentiles. All the walls that had so clearly divided were, were brought down. It was a radical community that loved so differently than did the rest of the world. And the world noticed, and, and the church flourished, not without its struggles to keep being what it was called to be, but with enough love that the message of the gospel, the transformative power of love, began to change the whole world. My question for today is whether the church of the 21st century looks anything like the church of the first century, or as Martin Luther King Jr. lamented from that Birmingham jail, whether it just continues to disappoint. I want to share with you a conversation that I had this this week, this past week, with a pastor friend of mine whose name is Daryl Davis. We began to get to know each other over 10 years ago as we shared a common passion to try and plant a church that loved like Jesus, that embraced the remarkable diversity that was so evident in the makeup of the early church. Listen. All right. I'm happy to have uh, Daryl Davis with me here. Um, Daryl and I have had a relationship past. We'll talk about that uh, here in just a minute. But Daryl's uh, Daryl's had a really interesting background. He was uh, a police officer for about 16 years with the Cincinnati Police Department. He was in a, a rapid response group uh, called Vortex. Uh, made it onto a few episodes of Cops TV. Uh, if you ever ever watched that, was a missionary in Jamaica for about five years. Uh, but the way that we got connected, uh, especially, was through an effort to plant uh, a multiracial church in the Westchester area called Pathways, and that we, we had a, a kind of a coaching personal relationship that way. Um, tell me something about what Pathways was like and what what your dream was for that. Oh yeah, I tell you, David, that was uh, I would say one of the. the clearly one of the best times of my life was, was being a part of that church plant. And I actually said, that's how, how we met. I mean, you know, I had a vision for a multi-ethnic, multicultural church that would really be a model to our community. They really reflect the mosaic of the community. As you know, the community already is quite diverse racially along those lines. I mean, there, there isn't a, a black Kroger's or a white Kroger's. There's just, so I wanted to plant a church along those lines. And that's how, how we met when you came along and resonated with that vision. And just with your experiences, I'd heard about you from others before then, but it was neat how uh, you, you sort of came along in a coaching uh, mentoring capacity and really uh, helped to really pour into my life and helped to really stable up some of those areas. And so, yeah. yeah. What, was, what were the biggest challenges in trying to pull that off? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest challenges uh, is facing fears. Like for mm -hmm. me, I had to face my fear as being an African American guy, thinking, "Well, how am I really going to be able to resonate with?" Especially, we were planning in Westchester with uh, you know with an affluent white guy whose experiences may be totally different than mine. How do we resonate and and find that common ground? 
but it really wasn't near as difficult as I thought. We had a lot more in common than we did uh, the opposite. And so that's what I found in, in planning the church. And, and, and I appreciate you helping me navigate through those fears. <laughs> what, was, what, was the, what was the biggest joy out of, of what happened there? I mean, I got to see, I was in some worship and got to experience yeah. that. And it was unique that way. What was, what was good about it? Oh, I tell you, the the biggest thing looking back that, that I even hear now from people who are part of that is just how we really had authentic life together, how we came together, not just in the building, which we did that, we you know, having our worship sets, you know, it really was just a neat thing just to experience worship in a, in a building together, but really how we were able to go out as a community and serve together and how people would walk up like, you know, you guys are together mm -hmm. doing this, whether it was serving at the homeless shelter, whatever it was that was really the neatest thing to really be the church in the community. And, and so I think that's just one of the keys to, to reaching the world today. Yeah, it was, I, I was so exciting that, that day we opened and we had the, the, the yeah. flags and the banners out front and the people, oh, yeah. who, you know, you don't know who's going to show up and, right. and it wasn't, it wasn't all easy. I mean, we had our, we had our challenges, but uh, it's sure. speaking of challenges. Uh, we could talk about pathways for a long time. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, I've, we haven't had, we haven't been connected, but, we, but we've kept in, contact through social media and and i've 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 followed what's been really an emotional kind of roller coaster for you uh with all that's happened you know the the, the covid and then and then all the the racial strife that's happened I, you've been here there and everywhere on that emotional. Oh, yeah. what, tell, tell me what you're feeling what i what we need to hear from somebody who's who's looking at it from a different perspective yeah, you are so right. It has been a, a total ride uh, along, uh, you know, just the emotional and the mental roller coaster of just the, it just run the gamut. For me, just initially, uh, I'll, I'll tell you initially first, be, being a police officer myself for so long, you know, I know what it is to support uh, law enforcement to be a part of that. So I had that as a part of my nature. And that was a constant part of how I, how I looked at different incidents that occurred in the past. But this was different. Uh, this initially just brought about a sense of anger and frustration as to why uh, this guy would wear the uniform mm. and disrespect and dishonor the, you know, what I would call the office of a police officer in that way and ignore even others who are there saying, hey, this, you know, the guy can't breathe. So, so that really initially just brought about a, a lot of anger. And along with that came pain. I mean, I actually put myself in that situation, not so much as a police officer, but as the guy, you know, just the identity of being African-American myself and just seeing this thing in my mind was taking us back, not moving us forward. And, and I'm being a positive person by nature. I see a lot of the change that has taken place, especially in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And so this took it back to me to a place that we were trying to get so far from. And, and so it just brought a lot of hurt. And then along with it, you know, I just, just had to go through that just by communicating as I did. When, is it, is it okay to be angry? I mean, what, what do you do with those kind of feelings in a time like this? Yeah, I, I think the, the key is to appropriately express your anger. I think the worst thing you can do is sort of hold that in and not have safe places where you can talk about what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And know that there are people, you know, like like I did, even at the church plant with you, that I could sit down and say, "Hey, David, I don't know how, you know, th this is how my, this is where my heart is," and, mm -hmm. and get reflection back to, to help navigate along the right lines. And so for me, it, it was just clear to be able to to be able to speak out of that position of uh, anger. 
It was good. When, when we went when we went through that plant, we, it took us a long time to get it to get it going. I mean, I don't know. I can't even remember what it was two years or something like that before <laughs> yeah, we even, even opened. But we had a lot of we had a lot of meals together. Um, we I, we met here, there, and everywhere. We kind of settled on one place, but uh, our conversations focused on not just the church, but I think we got to know each other. Right. Um, do, do you think uh, that there are many uh, black, white, whatever color that have meaningful relationships uh, where they would do sit down across the table and talk to each other? And, and if, if not, or if so, what's the impact of that on, on this whole racial issue that we're struggling with? Yeah, I, I think I think it's the key to it all. I mean, I think the relationships that exist and, and having those relationships uh, demonstrated, if you will, in, in the marketplace makes all the difference. I think when you see, especially whites and blacks coming together and having conversations, even if we don't agree about everything, as I said before, agreement can't always be the goal, but love has to be the goal. And so whenever you can sit across one another and just talk and just have dialogue, yeah, I think you'll find that we have a lot more in common, especially those of us who are Christ followers. We have a lot more in common than we do in terms of differences. And then it, it creates an empathy when things like this occurs with George Floyd, that we can really be honest about our truth because we have that relationship intact. Mm. And, uh, and, and if you don't have a good relationship intact, then what happens is misunderstanding. I mean, it's just, it just clear, you know, when, when you're expressing pain or any other emotion, it's easy to be misunderstood when it's with a person that you don't know. I, I, I was in a conversation with a group, another group that you were in last night, and you said something that really struck me. You, you led with the word that the truth is dangerous. Yeah. Uh, could you fill that out a little bit? Because that really spoke to me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's it's it is true. I mean, a mentor of mine from uh, probably my my uh, back in my college days when I was twenty something told me that he says, "Daryl, never, never tell the truth." And it struck me; it's quite odd. Like, wait a minute, you know, yeah. the Bible is the book of truth. What do you mean we're supposed to be all about the truth? And he says, "No, the, the truth itself is dangerous. Never tell the truth. The Bible doesn't call for us to tell the truth. It says to tell the truth in love." And so unless you can capitalize, you know, truth and love, then, then, it, then it is nothing more than just mere words that can cause more harm than good. And so I, I took that to mean for me during this time, it's okay to really express uh, my anger, but if it's anything other than in a loving, coming from a loving place, then, then it's just not going to cause any good. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that. I mean, some people, some people are big on truth. And some people are big on love, but you, if you flip that on its head, some people talk all about love, but they don't ever tell the truth. I mean, and it right. seems to me that, that a lot of what we're struggling with right now is we say a lot about love and the church sometimes <laughs> does that, but we right. don't talk about the elephant that's in the room. I mean, yeah. the, the church is still segregated and in some cases, one of the most segregated, you know, somebody said, you know, Sunday morning is the most segregated time you know in america I, th I think there i think there's change but still we don't we don't talk about that truth or we don't see that truth i i don't know how how do you feel about that yeah i, I think it's so true let's take this like, example of what's going on now with the whole george floyd situation mm -hmm. i think african americans uh blacks would much rather have uh white america speak out in truth 
than just to simply say, well, you know, we, we, we love you guys and we're just going to mm -hmm. pray for you and stay quietly and passively by and not, not speak out injustice. And, and we see in Jesus both truth and love operating all at the same time. I mean, he, he was not quiet. He didn't hold back. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of support uh, is helpful. It, it's, it's one thing just to say, hey, you know, I love you guys and, and I love you and you love me. But when it comes to talking about hard issues, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Are we able to sit down and talk about hard issues that have affected us and, and then move forward? And again, it doesn't mean we have to agree on it all, but being able to speak our truth is important. We know that a lot of people say um, there's all kinds of resources that are being poured into trying to fix the racial struggle that, that, we're, that we're going through. Yeah. Um, what do you say about the church's presence or absence as a player in, in that whole thing? How have you seen that from your perspective? Yeah, from my perspective, I, I think, you know, the church is at the epicenter of hope for not just this situation, but really, I think it's what the world needs and, and wants, even though it doesn't really know it. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm. But I think if the church, when it's operating as it should, which is in truth and in love with one another and demonstrating that, uh, by our togetherness, even just by our very presence showing up together, I think it speaks volumes. And I'm starting to see that now with different churches that are walking together, showing solidarity. Well, that speaks volumes uh, in the face of a world that's more divisive and, and, and pushing towards individualism versus a sense of unity. And so I think the church needs to be at the heart of it. I think it, it, that's the message of Christ, to love God and then to love uh, one another. I think it has to be uh, what the church is all about. Otherwise, the, the world doesn't have a model. You know, one of the, one of the hard things is with with uh, with a white majority in our in our culture, at least at least right now, there also is a, a white church in culture in a lot of ways. And uh, part of the challenge, even when we were talking about pathways, trying to figure out how to do yeah. that, I remember us having conversations like, <laughs> "Well, what kind of music do we have? How how do we how do we speak? Right. How does how does it do that?" And we. I think we hit on some, uh, we looked at some common denominators that would work that way, but there's even a blindness. We, we assume that the way we do church, uh, which is representative of what our dominant culture, our, our majority culture has been, is the right way to do church. And sometimes it, it can really get confused. We, we think because this is the way we do things, that this is the right way to do things. And um, so I, I mean, as a black person, if we're talking about trying to enter into relationships within the church, what things make it hard? Or, or do you find that? Or do you just feel like you have to uh, assimilate into whatever that majority view is? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, things like location, where you're located at. I mean, I, I would say that it would be not wrong for a church that's in a predominantly rural culture where there, there's not a lot of minorities around that area. You have to be who you are. So mm -hmm. it would be rather odd for an African-American church to all of a sudden, and, and, and style, because we're really talking about style, mm -hmm. to all of a sudden take on uh, the style of a church that might be from a rural area in mm -hmm. Southern America, for instance, then mm -hmm. that wouldn't be wouldn't be good. However, if you're in a city and in, in a location like ours where there are people who are already doing life together, then it becomes easier to do church life together because you already have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes, like we talked about you and I, as we were talking about planning uh, pathways, it was critical to find common grounds for music 
uh, and, and the younger generation, they know the difference. They know that it's not black music or white music. It's, it's either good or bad music. <laughs> and so <laughs> for you and I, we would identify, okay, well, that's, that's, you know, that, that's a white song or that's a black song. And I get that. But today's culture is totally different. Our younger yeah. uh, postmoderns. And so I think you have to find that middle ground. And I think you also have to just really just be accepting of one another. Uh, you don't have to necessarily change everything about the dominant culture, but you do have to accept and not just tolerate, but just accept yeah. the person as an individual. Yeah. I, you know, I've, as crazy as it's been, um, I've, I've come to a conclusion that it almost feels like that our culture might be at a tipping point. I don't know. You know, it, it feels, this feels different. I mean, it's terrible. And mm -hmm. I think maybe the COVID-19 uh, thing under it all has probably amped up our, our emotion, but, and, and also I see you mentioned our kids and I've got a son that lives in New York city. He's been there for several years now. I watched him yesterday, you know, Facebook live. He's, he's walking across the Brooklyn bridge. He's with, you know, with, with people uh, peacefully, you know, kind of expressing what's going on. And he feels very passionate about what's going on. I actually, see a lot of hope uh, in the middle of all this dark. I don't, I, and I don't know if that's just false hope. I mean, do you see this as in No, I think that's very, that's very real. I mean, I, I talk to my African-American friends all the time and, and that's, that's a very clear thread about this. It's, it's really different than anything we've seen in the past. And I think it has to do with just uh, how, how our world is really, a lot more together than we think in terms of how we view wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, wrong is just wrong. And so, for instance, your son's going to view it differently. He's going to say that, that we can say we love one another, but unless we're demonstrating, then it means nothing. Love not demonstrated is not love. And we know that it's a biblical principle, so, but they're going to make sure that they're demonstrating that. And so I think this is a tipping point where, where we're seeing an opportunity really for the church to really grow even in ways that it hadn't before. Only if we speak up and we say, you know, we don't just love you from afar, but we identify with the pain and with your suffering in, in ways really that Christ did. Yeah, I, I, I had a thought yes, yesterday. I was writing a, a post, and, and, and my concern is that we not go back to a broken normal. Yeah. Um, it, and that's the temptation, that, that we, we go through all this, all the coronavirus, all the pandemic, all, and, and a lot of people have commented how the – you know, racism is really almost a much, I mean, it, not much, it is the greater pandemic in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but the temptation is you get through this moment of crisis and then you just go back to the way things were. I, th that would be so sad. Um, yeah. What do you think we need to do to be different when we come out of this? Yeah, I, I think it's already happening. I, I don't think it can go back. I mean, I, I don't think it'll ever go back. I mean, I, the fear is that we've been here before. That's that's what you hear sometimes. But I don't think so. I think this is really different. And I think we see that by the way we see the unified voices, not just in our country, but around the world, uh, out crying for just justice. And so, man, I, I think that uh, that we won't go back. I mean, it's just obvious to me that we won't. Uh, as long as as long as you know the church seizes this moment, I think it'll be it'll be great. Yeah. For the church, I see it as opportunity time. Yeah, I want to say something to you, uh, and I, because you're somebody I'm looking at right now, and I want to say that uh, there are many ways in which in my life I've been blind. 
I, I don't think I've been that way intentionally. Um, I grew up in a wonderful home where I had a very uh, gracious set of parents. My dad was a, was a pastor. Uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't have strong ingrained prejudicial stuff that was a part of my, my DNA. But uh, I realize as I walk through this and as I, as I, I, I study the culture more and, and whatever, that there is still this huge blindness of bias on my part that is, that has culturally just been built into me. I, you know, I, I, I spent a time in the university uh, for a long time and we had a major culture change there when we developed a sports program. And I, that was the, that was one of the strongest learning experiences that I ever had was trying to listen and work through some really intense crisis situations uh, that were generated by a cultural difference, racial, racial difference. And I, I learned that I, there were things that I just wasn't seeing. I, I, I can't understand what it's like uh, to be black. I, a lot of my biggest teachers right now have been some of people who were my students. They, um, they, they, they're writing things. They're, they're, they're transparent about their hearts. And it just, uh, it convicts me, uh, to say that you know we've all been a part of perpetuating this whatever and i i i want to say to you i'm i'm sorry for what culturally has happened and i honestly want to listen and i i guess what i what i'd want to ask you as we kind of move to the end here is if if you could if you could say something as a black man and you've been in a unique position because you've been you're a cop and I've heard you talk about, you know, that's, that was kind of a privileged position that you had, not white, but, and you, you saw a lot, but as a black man, if you could just that hat on, what would you say to the white majority that just has not been getting it? How would you teach us? How would you teach me? Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And uh, man, I, I got to tell you that, I would say the biggest thing is just uh, affirmation of unity that we need. It's going to be because we we walk together. And so in walking with one another, uh, I think we will grow closer together. And though there may be a lot that's just different about how we, we view life and, and do life, I think there's also a lot of unity that will come from that. And I, th I think it's the biggest thing, just doing life together. Uh, and expressing ourselves and, and recognizing, um, for me as a black man, one of the hardest things is when you when you hear from some, someone that's white and they, they think, well, that's just something from the past, the, that, that the pain is not real that you experience today, but it's just resonant of, of slavery or something from way back then. So I talked about ghost pain. It's almost like a person, you know, there's still pain, but it's not really real. It's just based upon something that occurred a long time ago. Mm. And so I would say that just affirming that, that, uh, that, that my experience is a real experience is extremely helpful. And then walking with me uh, in and through that makes it makes a great deal of difference. I, uh, this whole week I've been kind of immersing myself in trying to understand better. And my wife and I decided we were going to watch Just Mercy uh, night before last. I mean, it was a, a gut wrenching, but I, the thing, the thing that struck me about watching that movie was, 
it, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, the, 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 it was like, you think that it's, you think that it's like the fifties or sixties and it was dating the original stuff of it was dated, but I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about not that long ago and we yeah. think things are different and they are, mm -hmm. but in some ways they aren't. Yeah. I mean, a black guy still, you know, gets a uh, you know, suspicion that he's passed a $20 counter counterfeit bill and somebody pulls a gun and puts his neck on him and, and he dies. I mean, that just, it's hard, it's hard to understand that that still is the reality of, of our day. And things like that will happen again, David, they really will. The difference is, is how we respond to them because, because at the, at the core, racism is not really a white problem. Hmm. Racism is a black problem. It's an Asian problem. It's a Latino right. problem. Right. It's a sin problem. So that means that we're not we're not done with seeing uh, hateful acts occur. I think what what we really may be at facing right now is the end of of ignoring that and not swiftly calling it out and dealing with it when it when it occurs. Yeah. And if we can do that, then I think we will we will go a long way because I think we'll already it will always exist among us you know, as sin is still in the earth. I mean, I think it's just going to be there. And uh, so that, I think that's important. The, the book of Revelation talks about, there's a scene where around the throne of God, there's every ethnic group and culture and race and, and, and whatever praising, praising God. And uh, the sense is, you know, if we don't start practicing choir down here, we're going to be really in, in bad shape up there. And maybe that's a corny way of looking at it, but God's vision uh, is that we, not that we'd be all the same. Uh, right. And if that, if that's the end result of this, that we got to all conform to some majority culture, that's not going to accomplish what I think is the will of God. Um, but I, I appreciate you, Daryl. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry we haven't had much chance to, to be as much in contact. We got to get, we got to yeah, get another cup of coffee and a meal yeah. somewhere. And as, as we can get, <laughs> get into a place to yeah. sit down. I want to pray for us. Uh, I, thanks so much for your time. Let me, let me pray for us. Let me pray for our, our situation here and then I'll, I'll say goodbye. Right. God, I thank you for Daryl. I thank you for his life and his faith. Um, we've all, we've all been through a lot. We've shared an awful lot. And right now is, uh, really, a, a confusing time for us where there's so much, so much hurt and, and struggle and agony going on. And I pray that the church can be what you want us to be, that we can be the kind of people that you want us to be. God, let your Holy Spirit, your power uh, pervade everything that's happening today so that we can bring about what you'd have us to be as, as your people. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Daryl. Hey, thank you. It's always that, cup, good. that cup of coffee's coming up, okay? Yeah, so. <laughs> all right. You take care. God bless. All right, God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, in a collection of contemporary essays written in response to Martin Luther King's letter from that Birmingham jail, Matt Chandler adds his voice in one chapter. He writes, We've been waiting hundreds of years for the Western church to become more diverse and mirror our brothers and sisters in the first century. But the hope that the next generation will usher in the gathering of people from different cultures and socioeconomic station and colors under one roof to worship has been just that, a hope for the church 
consistently punted down the field of history. But Chandler goes on to say, we can no longer push diversity on the next generation, asking our children to be obedient in an area we are not. We can no longer wait for our churches to magically become more ethnically diverse. The world is ripe to see and marvel at the gospel's power, to break down walls of hostility and heal historic mistrust, misunderstanding, and anger. There's, there's much that the church must and should do to be a, a leading voice in this world, to address the many centuries that have created our, our racialized culture. But in this moment, I offer a singular call. Can we at least begin by loving each other like Jesus loved us? If we genuinely love in this way, the world will notice. The good news of the gospel will be on display. And the culture may come to say, these people love in a different way. Perhaps even say, they love like Jesus. After he'd washed his disciples' feet in the upper room, Jesus said to them, this is in John 13, beginning in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There is that subversive, disruptive, countercultural way in which Jesus dared to demonstrate that the rules of the kingdom of God are so different from the rules of the kingdom of the world. The Apostle Paul sings a song about Jesus in Philippians 2 that includes these words, Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave born as a human being and died a criminal's death on a cross. Love is not about insisting on privilege, but about surrendering it for the sake of another. It, it's the very opposite of the self-serving attitude that so long characterized the culture of the world. It is a talon basin and cross and self-sacrifice kind of love. Love one another as I've loved you, Jesus said to us, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. My love will give you away. John Perkins is a remarkable black leader now in the late sunset years of his life, and he's, he's written what he calls a, his last book about our times. He says, the problem of reconciliation in our country and in our churches is is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one that only the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can heal. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. George Floyd has been described as a man of peace by some who knew him best where he grew up in the tough third ward of Houston, Texas. It was there that George, as a man, became a Christian, helped with outreach to at-risk young neighborhood boys, and even drug a portable baptistry out onto a neighborhood basketball court to help welcome new believers into family. 
There's a short video recently discovered that captures George providing a loving warning to young kids back then. He said, It's clearly the generation after us that's that's so lost. I don't even I don't even know what to say anymore. You youngsters just going around busting guns and in crowds, kids getting killed. Come on. Come on home, he said. It's going to be you and God. You're going up or you're going down. A lot of people now know George Floyd's name. But I wish they also knew a little bit more about George Floyd's love. But then I can say the same thing about the church. We live in a world that desperately needs to see us love one another like Christ has loved us.